This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for coming round again. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. What's shaking, cats and kittens? Welcome to the OKC Show. I'm your host, Jason Baffrey, and I'm excited to be back with you for another edition here on the Oklahoma Talking Company. Don't forget, you can listen to all of our programs at oklahomatalking.co. You can also find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes if you'd like to uh, set it up to direct download to your smartphone, which is a pretty cool deal. I'm excited about today's show as we get to talk about something that uh, I haven't really talked about a lot, but I'm very interested in, and it's a little bit different take for the OKC show. But my guest today are Rafael Lovato Sr. and Bobby Mayhew. And you may recognize the name Lovato if you were into martial arts and mixed martial arts at at all. Uh, they are really legendary in the Oklahoma City area and around the nation for martial arts. And uh, Rafael, welcome to the program. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you very Thank much. You. It's great to have you guys here. Rafael has the Lovato School of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He earned his black belt in 2003, and that's after a long run in other forms of martial arts, including Jeet Kune Do, which was started by the late, great Bruce Lee, and uh, and then moved into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And of course, if you really follow any media at all, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has become very popular uh, with the the advent of the Ultimate Fighting Championship and, of course, lots of TV coverage of that and, and more popularity coming to martial arts and mixed martial arts. And, Rafael, just uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your history more so than, than what I've been able to share. But, I mean, coming from Jeet Kune Do uh, and then moving into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and getting a black belt in 2003, kind of in the midst of really the growth of that sport. Well, first, let me make something one thing very clear is that i technically do not own the school anymore okay several years ago i uh, passed it on to my son uh, but i ran the school i came here to oklahoma my wife is from here i never imagined i would live in oklahoma one day uh, but came here uh, through my wife oklahoma has been very very good to me and i'm very very happy and pleased to call oklahoma my home but i turned the school over to my son several years ago but i continue to teach and my real specialty is in private sessions seminars i teach around the world uh, i train professional fighters in fact uh, it was myself and uh, dale apollo cook in tulsa that were very responsible for getting uh, mixed martial arts licensed and passed through the Athletic Commission here in Oklahoma. Uh, my real journey in martial arts began in Chicago, my home. I grew up right in the very worst of worst part of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's funny, a lot of times I run into someone, they say they're from Chicago, but they're really not. They're from one of the suburbs. Right. I grew up in this in this in the city itself and through out of necessity i had to start boxing and boxing was my first passion my real love Uh, and of course in those days many people of my generation were exposed to bruce lee through the green hornet series and when i saw him moving i knew right then and there that's what i had to do 
So I pursued uh, studying other martial arts. My real passion was to move to Los Angeles and train with him directly. Unfortunately, tragically, he died. But I got to do the next best thing. I got to train and actually receive certification through his his closest students and friends like Richard Bastille, Dan O'Sano, Richard, uh, I'm sorry, Jerry Petit, and a host of others that knew Bruce personally and trained with him regularly. So I went from boxing to the JKD. I was exposed to some traditional martial arts in that time. Uh, so it's been a lifelong journey since I was nine years old studying martial so, arts. So Bobby, tell me a little bit about your history. You uh, you are a Muay Thai fighter and specialist in some other forms of uh, martial arts. You've done training in the military. You are a trainer in the military, and then you've you've been doing some professional fighting as well, right? Uh, let, let me actually clear that up. I've never fought professionally yet. Uh, my highest achievement so far in the amateur leagues is winning the Striking International Amateur Muay Thai Tournament, which is like a worldwide, nationally known uh, association. So they have guys from all over the place, Canada, Mexico, come down pretty much fight for a weekend so it'll be like three fights in a weekend and you know if you win all three fights you get a title but that was that was my my latest and greatest achievement okay so just for for clarification purposes then what is the difference between an amateur fighter and a professional fighter uh for the most part uh if you're a professional fighter you get paid to fight oh okay uh, amateur you don't get paid you you just get get hit for fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> essentially that's that's the main difference yeah uh, but no, uh, pretty much. I, I guess the best place to start would be uh, when I was when I was really young. Um, I've been since I've been really little. I've always loved martial arts. I, I used to watch a lot of martial arts films growing up as a kid. Uh, I used to mimic a lot of uh, the stuff that they do on TV, whether it was Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, uh, whoever. You know, I, I was I was always watching the videos and I was you know mimicking the kicks and the punches and doing all the all the fun stuff and. After a while, I kind of realized, you know, just being able to do the kicks and the punches wasn't enough. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I uh, found out after getting uh, into a few fights in school that didn't really work so well for me. Um, but no, I uh, I ended up, uh, I was kind of a weird kid growing up, so I used to get bullied a lot. Uh, I grew up in New York uh, for most of my life. And, uh, you know, I kind of decided that I wanted to do karate. And uh, I did karate for like three years. And, uh, you know... Uh, from there, I, I ended up actually moving because uh, things were getting so bad over in New York. Uh, you know, I was removed from my first school that I was in, and they were putting me in all these programs because they, they felt like uh, it, was, it was becoming too much of a problem. And then uh, you know, my parents kind of decided we need to get them out, so we moved to North Carolina instead. And I never quite finished my training in karate. I'd been doing it for three years. And I was slightly disappointed in karate uh, myself, just mainly because a lot of the sparring aspects were pretty much like tag, tag-related sparring. So it was like point sparring. And since I've been growing up, I've always known what real fights were like, and they were nothing like what they have you do in a lot of those karate classes. So I ended up becoming very disappointed in what was offered. And next thing I realized is I see on, on TV, they have the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and I see those guys in the cage duking it out. I'm thinking to myself, man, that is like the coolest stuff ever. I want to do that. You know, like that's like real fighting, you know, the real deal. And I went up to my, to my mother, and I was like, hey, I want to do this stuff. And she looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're not doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was so into that. I really wanted to do it. I kept bugging my parents about it. 
And my dad one day, he uh, bought me a video set. He's like, you know, uh, just to get you off of this MMA spree, I'm going to buy you this video set. Is it these guys uh, that own a company called Target Focus Training. Uh, a lot of what Target Focus Training is, is, is the, a lot of uh, pretty much uh, trains a person to cause severe in- injury in another human being. So pretty much it teaches you shorthand, teaches a person who has no experience in martial arts, no experience in fighting, or experience in, in a violent encounter whatsoever, pretty much understanding how to apply force trauma onto certain parts of the body to end, to end a conflict as soon as possible. And of course, you know, I, I became very stunned. I was, I was very interested in that stuff as well. It's like, wow, this is really great stuff. You know, you, you can end a fight in like three, five seconds, just if you hit the guy here, hit the guy there, whatever. And I kind of had this weird, like, back and forth game. Like, oh, I really like the MMA. Oh, I really like this target focus training stuff. This is really cool stuff. And my curiosity kind of grew. Well, uh, I ended up joining the military after I, after I graduated high school. And uh, after a while, once I got done with basic training and tech school and all, all that other good stuff, I ended up uh, getting stationed here in Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, I was really aching to find a place, a good place that could, uh, that could kind of show me something unique that was different, you know, kind of, you know, outside of the norm. And I ran into a school, I think, I think it was a Haggerty's Karate. And they, they showed me some, some Kali, uh, some Kali different, different like knife fighting techniques. Uh, at the time, I think I found out I was going to deploy to Afghanistan. So I was really, uh, interested in that stuff at the time. And they showed me some pretty good stuff there. And uh, after I deployed, I came back and uh, started to look elsewhere. And a friend of mine actually told me about another place uh, over a moor called Phoenix Rising Kung Fu Sansu, which I've come to find out later is pretty much the same thing as target focus training, but it's like the actual art that target focus training bases itself off of, but extremely oversimplified and modernized. So I, I trained there for three years and got my black belt in that. And in the middle of that, I started pursuing other means because I kind of recognized that although Kung Fu Sansu offered that, you know, ambush fighting type scenario where, you know, a guy attacks you, you don't see it coming, you just kind of hit a lot of those, uh, a lot of those uh, vulnerable parts of the body. I kind of recognized that sometimes you didn't have a lot of those... Uh, a lot of those uh, scenarios yeah. uh, place in front of you. Yeah. So how did you connect with Raphael? Uh, I was actually just about to get to that. Uh, I ended up actually uh, looking into jujitsu because I realized that Sansu had had no uh, little to no emphasis on the ground. So I started looking up Brazilian jujitsu because they had a lot of emphasis on, on ground fighting. And uh, then I kind of looked up uh, certain schools and found uh, Lovato jujitsu. So Surely enough, I show up and sign up for classes. And, uh, you know, I was at, at that point in time, that's when I first started studying Muay Thai as well because they also had a Muay Thai program. So I was doing both classes at the same time. And uh, and my first encounter with Rafael Sr. was actually, I, I believe, six months in. And uh, they started doing morning classes. And at the time, he was teaching Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu in the morning. So I was I was some of the few students that would show up to those classes, and uh, I was just extremely fascinated with with some of the stuff he was showing us, with with uh, the amount of knowledge he had and how much experience he had. I was I was very fascinated with his teaching, and uh, from there on, I, I've been pretty hooked to hooked on a lot of his stuff, and uh, and then eventually I, I started learning from Mark Beecher. Mark Beecher became uh, the head Muay Thai instructor 
at Lovato. So I, I started focusing on, uh, on Muay Thai a little bit more than ju- uh, Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, eventually got my blue belt in Jiu-Jitsu around the same time I got my brown shirt in Muay Thai, which, you know, in Lovato, we kind of have our own ranking system for Muay Thai. And uh, it was also around the same time I got uh, awarded that, that title for that championship. And uh, shortly later on, I actually ended up becoming an instructor. And uh, six months after I became a part-time instructor, uh, uh, my Muay Thai instructor, Mark Beecher, ended up leaving. So I ended up becoming a full-time instructor shortly after then. Very cool. Rafael, let's talk a little bit about the, the history and the changes in martial arts uh, kind of in, in your area. As you mentioned, you kind of got started in Jeet Kune Do, um, which was uh, – basically created by Bruce Lee, if I'm not mistaken. He took elements of, of Kung Fu and, and some other martial arts and mixed them together. Is that kind of the history there? I, I In mean, a simplified form, yeah. yes. yes. Well, it's rather ironic. Martial arts is really no different than other sports. Everything improves with time and goes through an evolutionary process. Uh, think for a second, if you were to compare a football team today compared to a football team from the 1940s. There wouldn't be a comparison because of the advancements in technology, diet, training. There is an evolutionary process there. Well, martial arts is really no different. Grappling really is the oldest form of martial arts known. Uh, a lot of people are caught up with the fancy acrobatic movements, the flashy movements. Well, quite honestly, the fancier it is, the more unrealistic unreal- it is, the less likely it is to work. Uh, there's cinematic martial arts, and then there's combative martial arts. But ultimately, they are art forms. And what is art but personal expression? Uh, I've been a professional musician for many, many years, and one of the analogies I use is if I were to give sheet music to five, say, five pianists or violinists or whatever, each one is going to play their own interpretation. You're going to have five different interpretations because it is an art form. And ultimately, I think that's what Bruce Lee was striving for. Bruce was tremendously gifted, but by his own admission, he was an actor. He was, in many ways, a cinematic martial arts, but yet he was a fighter too. And he had some fights when he was younger and through one of those fights discovered that it just took too long and he was too tired. It was then that he began to develop the concepts and the principles of JKD. What I like about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is that it is very, very personal, and anyone can do it, anyone, regardless of of age or even physical limitations. Uh, We have one student that actually is an amputee uh, from the knee down and has done extremely well in competition. One of my favorite old instructors was uh, Jean-Jacques Machado, who actually was born with a deformity in his hand. And consequently, he has only a a stub of a little finger and a thumb. And yet he is one of the most remarkable competitors in the history of our sport. So uh, really, if you have the desire to exercise, be in good shape, and learn a very, very practical form of martial arts, then Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is very, very effective. And a lot of people may not understand that. And I think for for many, and really, I think my first um, 
notice of Brazilian jiu-jitsu came in the the early, early days of UFC before, I mean, when it yes. was still kind of like the underground thing and, and mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know, basically all forms of martial arts, all yes. sizes, and Hoist Gracie was, you know. He dominated. Dominated at that time, and, and nobody had really heard of Brazilian jiu-jitsu yes. if you weren't in it. But, you know, people now see UFC and they see the Ultimate Fighter and all the TV shows, and now they're on Fox and it, it's, it's mainstream. But they look at it um, like it's, a, you know, you have to be like the supreme athlete. But this is something you're saying that anybody is able to go out and learn and do and incorporate into not only, uh, I'm guessing, a healthy lifestyle, but to be able to defend themselves if they got into the right yes, positions. Yes. And one of the things that personally I always strive for is a practical approach to martial arts. Now, like I said earlier, it's a fact most real altercations will end up in some kind of a grappling situation. Someone's going to grab you or you actually end up on the ground. But all fights start standing up. So it's very, very important to have at least the rudiments of striking and understand how to bridge that gap from striking range into grappling range. And, you know, that's an interesting thing. In martial arts, I don't care what it is, be it jiu-jitsu or muay thai or the school of kicking biting screaming and scratching there's only three ranges long range close range and grappling range that's it uh you're the longest part of your body is your legs what's next your arms there's punching range elbow range headbutting range and then you have grappling range when you're clinching even boxers if you watch professional boxers or amateurs uh how many times does the referee have to break them apart man is a natural grappler we have a lot of uh, law, uh, law enforcement students, and in fact, several years ago, I was awarded by the, uh, by the state of Oklahoma or the city of Oklahoma City uh, for working with the, uh, the police department very extensively, and they now do my entire program with requesting control and defensive tactics. Police officers will tell you, they'll be the first ones to tell you that virtually every time they're on shift, they have to put their hands on someone. They are involved in some kind of a grappling scenario. They can't just hit someone and they can't just pull out their gun. So it's imperative to understand and have that ability to grapple, be it someone grabbing you, jumping you from behind, choking you, pulling your hair, throwing to you to the ground, getting on top of you. And for that's one problem with a lot of the traditional martial artists. They do not address that situation or if they do, it's in a very, very, how shall I say, very controlled a scenario where this happens, then you go to point B, then you go to point C. But what if everything goes wrong? What if the guy is 300 pounds and on PCP, sweaty? What happens when you're on a hard pavement instead of a controlled environment like a nice soft mat? What happens if um, he all of a sudden pulls out a, a beer bottle or a brick or something like that? So the situation has to change. So my personal approach to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not just the sport aspect with the pretty gi, the uniform, and where you compete and you get points. I personally like the MMA aspect because it's more realistic and it forces you to learn how to defend against strikes, even to defend against the clinch because there's times that you don't want to go to the ground. So anyway, I like that combination. I think that's very much what Bruce was striving for. Yeah. Let me ask you, do you think that the the rise of the UFC and, and mixed martial arts uh, televised and, and the, the combat uh, sport, has that been beneficial or hurtful to martial arts, mixed martial arts? I mean, obviously, I would assume that it's increased 
business for somebody who has is in the business of having a school and instructor. But I mean, are people coming in with just wild ideas, thinking they're going to be, um, you know, professionals? Or hey, I saw you know uh, Chuck Liddell, and I want to be yeah. like Chuck Liddell. I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or how? <laughs> what's the state well, of martial arts right now? As as a professional instructor, it's it's interesting that you say that because everyone. It seems everyone wants to brag, oh, I'm an MMA fighter. They want to impress their friends or they want to impress that pretty girl that they just met without realizing that there is a tremendous amount of work that goes into it. You have to be extremely disciplined with uh, how you eat, what you can't eat, um, your training, You even if you're an amateur. Now, one thing, like Bobby said earlier about amateur, I don't downplay the importance of being an amateur athlete. The very word amateur comes from French, which means to love, or in Spanish, amor. You love it. You do it because of the sheer love, but you have to approach it like a professional. If you don't feel like training, too bad. You have to train anyway. There's that one aspect where it's fun uh, to, to train people. In fact, uh, I had someone, uh, in fact, a female student. I've never trained a female MMA fighter, but I, I did for the first time. And she won her fight impressively just last weekend. But she realized that how much work there is into it. But a lot of people want the glory, but without investing and going through the pain. Uh, it has helped because... Many of the traditional martial arts, they realize that they're not addressing that aspect. For a UFC fighter, they really train, cross-train in four different martial arts, and they're all complementary and all imperative. One is wrestling, because when it comes to when it comes to grappling, the best at takedowns are the wrestlers. They are tremendous athletes, tremendous balance, and they have the ability to flow, especially with their takedowns when they get on top of someone usually they can keep them down. The other is, of course, the Muay Thai. The Muay Thai and boxing really would be inclusive because you have to have, to have the ability to strike. And then, of course, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because you have to have the ability to submit someone and to be able to defend yourself on your back because a Jiu-Jitsu guy doesn't care one bit if he's on his back. We are very, very effective on our backs, and many wrestlers have found that out the hard way. But we like to combine the wrestling, the Muay Thai, the boxing, and, of course, the jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, Bobby, one of the things, uh, and, and you and I have talked before, and, uh, and but you kind of alluded, I mean, you were young, you were having issues at school. But let's talk a little bit about the the discipline involved and, and what getting involved in martial arts did for you um, as a kid growing up once you got into it because it's it, it really is more than just learning how to fight oh yeah absolutely um, for me it was honestly it, it was it was all I thought about it was it was something that I could commit myself to it was something that I could strive for and uh, you know not just be sitting you know, on a couch playing video games all day, you know, it was just something else that defined me, that made me who I was, it was part of my identity. And that's that's ultimately why, one of the reasons why I take so much pride in it today, because it's, it's how I identify myself is, you know, not, not just back then as a kid, but even now, you know, it's a big part of my life. And, you, you know, my wife would agree, you know, even though she, didn't, she wasn't a martial artist uh, when she met me, you know, she's been, you know, sucked into that world so mm -hmm. <laughs> ultimately it, it's become so um 
so huge in my life that it, it kind of it kind of motivates me to um, surround myself in a way to where it, it, it aligns my my behavior and my and my ability to make good decisions based on what I love to do. Yeah. Raphael, uh, th- the discipline, the mindset, I mean, respect comes into it. I mean, there's a lot of things that especially um, younger people, uh, boys and girls, can learn from this aside from just the physical aspects. Absolutely. One thing that kind of parallels Bobby's uh, life, I too, of course, as I mentioned earlier, grew up in Chicago. And back in the 60s and 70s, of course, there was a lot. And, well, unfortunately, now it's even worse. We hear about violence in Chicago all the time. But when I was a kid, in my neighborhood, there was a lot of racism, a lot of gang violence. And I was beginning to get caught up in that. And uh, when I discovered boxing, I went from a wannabe gangbanger who started getting in trouble, started doing, actually, I hate to say this, but um, I, I got in trouble with the cops first time at seven years old. And uh, I was very much headed down a path of destruction. I was introduced to boxing and discovered, you know, these guys are the really tough guys because of the strength and the self-control, the discipline it takes to train, to eat. Uh, anybody can rob an old person. Anybody can break into a school. Anybody can pull a trigger. Any idiot can do that. But it takes some real character to discipline yourself, to train, and to have self-control. And I began to realize that. And often I tell people, you know, there's two things in my life that really helped change me. One, of course, is getting involved with boxing. And the other is I tell people I'm living proof that there is a a God because I'm a walking miracle. I have faced death. I've had gun pulled on me. I've had edge weapons pulled on me. I've been in areas where, you know what, I probably shouldn't have walked out of there. But but for the grace of God, here I am. Here I am. And I think the martial arts was a, was a um, catalyst in helping with that. We moved also from Chicago. My mother realized the path I was going, and we ended up moving out of Chicago. And, um, and that's where I began to pursue martial arts even more. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Talking again about UFC, of course, one of their most popular stars recently has been Ronda Rousey, um, female competitor and champion. And and this is something that, you know, uh, ladies are getting more involved in from the the athletic and the sporting aspect. But there are so many things that that um, ladies can take away from this to help protect themselves, self-defense. Um, talk just a little bit about that for any of our, our lady listeners that, you know, some of the things that they can learn and, and how they could go about doing that. One of the things that I've been very fortunate to do is to work with, with women and um, in specifically self-defense for women. Um, uh, customized for women in different scenarios, be it striking, grappling, grabbing, being thrown to the ground. In regard to Ronda Rousey, I have to say, I think she is an extremely talented athlete, but a very poor representative of the sport. I, I hate to say it because I, I hate to talk ill of anyone, but I find it very, very disturbing when people have to be demeaning or disparaging to other athletes or to anyone in general, anyone at all. I think you should always carry yourself with dignity and respect and honor. Uh, but unfortunately, with the UFC, as much I, as much as I enjoy the sport, 
unfortunately, you're seeing that aspect start to dwind or you know start to come in slightly, where people are turning it into a WWF yeah. scenario, <laughs> and I think it's very unfortunate because it's taking away that that honor and that you know my son. If I could just mention my son sure. real quickly. Uh, of course, every father is proud of their son. But one thing about my son, he has accomplished more in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than any other American in the history of our sport. And uh, it's really something when uh, your son is known all over the world. We have walked down the streets of Lisbon, Portugal, and people stop him on the street just to get a picture with him or get his autograph. And yet... It's not his accomplishments. It's not. And now he's fought very successful in MMA. He's actually fighting for a title. Yet, I've never once heard him brag or boast. In his last fight, the announcer tried to get him to call out someone. And my son, who's very, very quiet and very humble, says, well, I'm sorry. That's not my style. I'm not going to do that. And I'm glad because... Well, if I could take any credit at all, I'm, I'm glad because I've taught him that. Yeah. Carry yourself with honor. Nobody, nobody respects that person who has to brag or who's a loudmouth or who just talks incessantly about how great they are. Do your talking in the cage. Do your do- talking in the way you live. Get people to respect you. You don't, you don't get respect just because of, well, because of who you are or because you're a minority. You earn respect. And when he was in high school and junior high, of course, I've been training him since before he could walk. Uh, we, it was funny because he won as the first American, the juvenile division in, um, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, first American to ever do that. And um, so the Daily Oklahoman did an article on him. And it was funny because the school, Putnam City Original, where he went to school, they asked him to do a, demonstra- a demonstration. No one knew that he even did martial arts. Mm. Everyone was shocked by that because <laughs> he never once told anyone. Right. He didn't brag about it. And I thought that was so cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a, a testament to you as a father and, oh, and certainly the the uh, discipline that you have learned yourself and that you've been able to instill in your son and hopefully your students and, and uh, those that come through your classes and everything. And I think that's fantastic. And what you said, um, I, I wish... Uh, we, we should just take that and put that out through social media, and everybody should hear what you just said about oh, uh, dignity and respect. Appreciate that. It's awesome. Um, gentlemen, just uh, kind of to wrap up here, what's next for you guys? What do you have uh, coming up in the future? Uh, well, um, as as you probably already know, uh, Raphael and I did a went ahead and did a joint venture. Uh, my wife and I shortly uh, opened a business of our own called Advanced Combatives Technology. And uh, we decided to do a partnership with Raphael and start seeking contracts with uh, federal federal uh, agencies or military uh, units. And we're actually uh, starting out with my reserve unit right now. We're looking to start a contract with my reserve unit to teach combatives to uh, to my unit, and then hopefully uh, start moving on to other units as well. Now, what, what kind of gives us the edge is that is that our business is a is a disabled veteran small loan business, so it gives us the option to do a set aside for those contracts. So it kind of gives us a huge advantage towards uh, getting a settlement for for a contract in that kind of in that kind of uh, realm. Great. 
Well, we wish you the best of luck in in that venture. And if anybody is interested in in training, uh, and that could be for, I mean, you, uh, Raphael Junior's school, the Lovato School, they start training at like four years old yes. and up to any yes. age, correct? Yes, yes. My personal real specialty is now that I'm approaching 60, I um, I'm, I'm actually have found a niche of working with uh, middle-aged men that are not ready to just call it quits. And uh, so I have a number of clients that I train with privately or semi-privately. Of course, this venture with uh, Bobby. And as I mentioned earlier, my son is getting ready to uh, fight for a title. So I've been very involved with helping him train for that. And um, I'm, I'm enjoying continuing teaching and staying very, very healthy and, uh, and trying to be a good ambassador for, uh, for the martial arts. That's great. Well, we appreciate your time today. Um, the website for the school, correct me if I get this wrong, but OKCBJJ.com, is that? That's for the school. For the school? My, okay. uh, my address is Lovato, my name, L-O-V-A-T-O, S-R for senior, B is in boy, J-J for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at AOL.com. Okay. Very good. All right. Bobby Mayhew, Rafael Lovato Sr., thank you for taking the time. Thank you. And uh, we appreciate you guys very much. You've been listening to the OKC Show. Thanks for stopping in. I'm your host, Jason Baffrey. We are out of here. The OKC Show is a production of Destiny Creative.